Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Make sure that you are picking up our podcast. It's now being downloaded in 124 countries around the world. It's not yet back to the numbers it was when we had to close it down for financial reasons, but we are determined that it will be. Take note that on Monday, the 7th of November, the mother of all talk shows goes on the road. The mother of all road shows begins in Stockport in the Garrick Theatre on Monday, the 7th of November. Gayatri will have our camera. We'll be interviewing members of the audience. We'll be showing some of those interviews on the subsequent edition of The Moats. Take note that we plan to restart the midweek mother of all talk shows, financial circumstances permitting, on the 12th of October. Put that in your diary. And note that every Wednesday until then, the Galloway Show, just me and Gayatri, and one camera, no frills, but raw and unvarnished. The Galloway Show only on YouTube at 10 p.m. UK time on Wednesday evenings. It's racking up great number, six-figure number last week and growing. It will grow until Wednesday at least of this week. I mention little Macron because he was in Algeria for a reason. Not to commemorate the massacre of more than 100 Algerian citizens in France who were thrown in the River Seine when the Beatles were number one in the British hit parade. I'm not talking ancient history here because they were protesting against the brutal occupation of their country, Algeria, by the French colonists. I'm not talking about the million martyrs that the Algerian people gave in their world-historic, heroic struggle to overthrow French colonialism in their country. That's not why Macron was there. Macron was in Algeria to beg Algeria, which produces 3% of the world's natural gas, to sell some of it to France rather than on the open market. Macron was chased out of Algiers by the Algerian masses who made my heart swell with pride. Vive Algerie! What a magnificent sight, this little two-bit moth-eaten dwarfish emperor chased out of an Arab capital. Would that all the Arab people had the spirit of the Algerian revolutionary people. They chased him and the police had to hustle him into his car to escape from the angry masses in Algiers. 
I take my hat off again, as I have done all of my adult life to the people of Algeria. <clears throat> he was trying to get <laughs> gas from Algeria for the same reason that the French Foreign Legion has now invaded Yemen. I'm not making that up, though you almost certainly don't know it because it has had virtually no coverage in the mainstream media. The French Foreign Legion, that's right, Beaugest and all of that. The people that were driven out of Algeria 60 years ago are now invading Yemen. Why? Because they want to help the starving Yemeni children? No, because they want to occupy a potential gas field in the eastern part of Yemen and use it to bolster the gas supply to France and to the European Union. Boy, they're getting desperate now. The Yemeni people will resist them. The French Foreign Legion will be chased out of Yemen like the British were chased out of Yemen like the French Foreign Legion were chased out of Algeria. The days of white European colonies are over. It's Mandela's anniversary. He went on trial and was sent to prison for 27 years with the full support of British, American and French white European colonist governments right up until 2008 when the United States removed the terrorist label from Nelson Mandela. And then they all queued up to deify him. They all queued up for selfies with him. They were even taking selfies at Nelson Mandela's funeral, the hypocrites. But some of us have got long memories. I am like an elephant. I am cursed with long memories. I'm cursed with the memory of being called a communist because I supported Nelson Mandela. The days of white European colonialism are dead and buried and the sooner white European countries realize it, the better. The only way to sort out your gas supply is to make peace with Russia. And that means to end your economic aggression against Russia and your endless military supply of weaponry to Ukraine. Don't take my word for that. Take the word of Lord Richard Dannett, the former commander-in-chief of the British Army, writing in the Times of all places this very day. This is awkward because the Times has been telling its readers for the last six months that Kiev was winning the war and bigly, and their hero, Boris Johnson was in Kiev. Where else would he be? He wouldn't be on the beach at Dover trying to repel the 1,652 borders coming across in rubber dinghies every single day last week. No, he wouldn't be in Rotherham. He wouldn't be in any of those towns where our young girls have been so grievously sexually abused systematically for decades with the police and the politicians doing nothing about it. Of course not. He wouldn't be on the old age pensioner estates in Britain explaining to them how they're going to live when three quarters of their weekly old age pension 
is going to be spent on their gas and electricity bills this winter. Where else would he be? Of course, he's in Kiev telling Zelensky not to negotiate with Russia to keep the war going, to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood. This is awkward for the times that the former head of the British army says it's time to end the war. It's time to negotiate with Russia. It's time for the generals to tell Zelensky that they can do no more. It's awkward. This is not Galloway telling you this on the mother of all talk shows. This is the former head of the British army telling you in the times today. The game's up. And no matter how much money, weapons, and propaganda we continue to spew out of the pockets of our own taxpayers into the treasury of Zelensky, some of it, of course, ending up offshore, that will not change the final outcome. Although the final shape of a settlement has changed with every single day of the war. I want to tell you something that, again, you probably haven't thought of. You keep hearing the word billions. You keep hearing the word billionaire. And many people have begun to think of a billion as they once thought of a million. Well, let me tell you something. One million seconds is 12 days. One billion seconds is 32 years. That's the difference between a million and a billion. I want you to get those numbers in your head. One million seconds is 12 days. One billion seconds is 32 years. And then I want you to count up. How many billions of U.S. taxpayer, European taxpayer, British taxpayer has been sent to Ukraine? I'll tell you how many. That's 78 billion has been sent to Ukraine to make war against Russia. 78 billion. Now remember, a billion seconds is 32 years. That's what you have spent. Our economy has been destroyed by our own leaders who on the back of the COVID catastrophe, the lockdown debacle, disaster, have now spent a fortune of your money that they didn't even have. They printed the money and bankrupted your economy in order to make war against Russia. When they could have solved this entire matter by merely implementing the Minsk II agreements, which they signed and guaranteed France and Germany, are the guarantors of the Minsk II Agreement. What did the Minsk II Agreement require? It required a declaration that Ukraine would not join NATO and that Lugansk and Donetsk would have devolved government 
like Wales or Scotland. That's all. But of course, so much blood and treasure and bad blood and international political poison is now coursing through the veins of this entire matter that the terms of a settlement have dramatically changed. But Lord Dannett is insistent they will have to be negotiated and agreed. Someone asked me in good faith today on Twitter if I would set out what I thought were now the terms of a political settlement. He's not going to like what I'm going to say. And many of you won't like it. And it might not even be accurate. But my take now is that Russia will now absorb the eastern half of Ukraine, the southern coast of Ukraine, and will require a new government in Kiev. They will insist on the southern coastal plain of the Ukraine linking up with Transnistria and the hundreds of thousands of Russian people living there under threat from Ukraine on one side and Moldova on the other side. Sharif is their football team. They're playing Manchester United in the Europa League very soon. Look out for them. They've got a statue of Lenin outside their stadium. That will leave Western Ukraine as a landlocked NATO protectorate, exactly like the NATO protectorate in what they call Kosovo, which is in fact the NATO-occupied part of Serbia. It will be an endless source for you of bills, of crime, of prostitution, of people trafficking, of illegal weapons. And by the way, the Pentagon has just launched an inquiry this day into the failure of the Ukrainian regime to properly track the billions of dollars, billion, 32 years of seconds, billions of dollars of military hardware sent to Ukraine by Western countries and the tracking, according to the Pentagon, which is now investigating it, has been so insufficient that anyone who knows the way to the dark web can today buy a javelin missile to put in the boot of their car for just 23,000, it was 25, it's now $23,000 for a javelin. You can bring down an airliner with a javelin. You can blow up a bank vault with a javelin. You can cause devastation by terrorist attack on any target anywhere in the world with a javelin in your boot, $23,000. The whole kit and caboodle. So not only did the so-called Western taxpayer pay for the weapon in the first place, Criminals and terrorists are buying it to use against Western targets right now. Again, don't believe me. Believe the Pentagon, which has just launched an inquiry into it. So that's what I think will be the terms 
of the ending of the war. But if these terms are not agreed, the war will go on. And something like the final lines which I have just drawn for you, or worse, will be the outcome for Kiev and for Western Ukraine, as it will come to be known. So, given that this war has cost the lives of uncountable Ukrainians, the blood of their soldiers is running like rivers everywhere in the country. Lord Dannett says they've comprehensively lost the war and can do no other. And given that it has devastated, bankrupted, bankrupted your economy, isn't it time to end the endless media lies that Ukraine is winning? One more heave, one more billion, ten more billions into the maw will do it. Boris Johnson is more welcome in Kiev than he would be in Dover. More welcome in Kiev than he would be in Hare Hills in Leeds where the gangs are fighting each other with machetes on the streets in broad daylight with not a police officer in sight. Mind you, if they were, they'd be wearing new hats specially designed for non-binary police officers, like the pictures of the Northern Ireland Police Service that I have just seen today. It warmed the cockles of my heart. I remembered the RUC over so many decades of my life, and I thought of them now in their non-binary. Maria Farmer is one brave lady. She was the original Jeffrey Epstein victim, survivor, whistleblower. She has done more than anybody else to bring the sheer horror of the Epstein-Maxwell gang to a wider audience. And as such, she's come across quite a few dead bodies. Another one popped up this week, Stephen Hoffenberg. She was the last person, it seems, to talk to Stephen Hoffenberg. Let's hear from her about who he was and how and why he's now dead. Maria, welcome back to the show. Always wonderful to see you and hear you. I saw you in all the worst newspapers this week. Yes. The Hoffenberg tale. Tell the viewers about it, please. Sure. Um, I would first of all like to say that um, Stephen Hoffenberg was truly uh, the kindest man I've ever known. And I've, I've you know, known a few men in my life. And he was uh, a, a true, genuine soul. He cared about anyone who had survived Jeffrey Epstein so much. He cared about um, all the victims of Tower Financial. He cared about all the victims of Wexner. He was working with um, uh, one of the Wexner victims, uh, George Tonks, and they were going to be coming forward. And he's actually going on today on another show. Uh, you can follow his YouTube um, 
and he's going on Carmen Studer and it's on YouTube under George B. Tonks. And he's going to be discussing a lot of the Wexner and Epstein stuff today. Um, but basically, Hoffenberg was someone who was uh, there for us and the whole time. I, I've known him a while, um, but I've, I've been very, very close. I became very close to him when I became ill. And he, he called me every single day to make sure that I was well. And he really cared. He didn't want anything from me. I tried to do things for him. And he was such a, a, a humble and gracious gentleman. He, he would never let me, you know, do things for him. So I showed him my love and I told him that I loved him. But I just have a lot of regret right now because I wish I'd told him more. Um, he really suffered the effects of the Southern District of New York, which is... Um, really unfortunate because of course i told this guy ed shanahan that wrote the new york times article which really butchered uh the memory of hoffenberg and also the truth of him um hoffenberg was somebody who had made a lot of life changes and he made no excuses for falling for jeffrey epstein's um antics basically he was very embarrassed that he was a part of it he he was promised by the Southern District that he would be testifying against Jeffrey Epstein. And then they pulled him in and indicted him and they never arrested Jeffrey Epstein. So I've seen a lot of my friends have this happen where they're involved with Jeffrey Epstein and Jeffrey Epstein gets the final word, right? And these people end up dying or they're imprisoned or their lives are ruined or they have cancer. Now, look, I'm sorry that his death uh, grieved you so, uh, but it has to be pointed out, he spent yeah. many years in prison as a financial fraud. He defrauded countless people of their savings. He was a Ponzi scheme scam artist. And the only mitigation is that he claimed he was put up to it by Jeffrey Epstein. How credible is that, Maria? Yes. Um so he was he was busy working on other projects and i think he was embarrassed that he wasn't really uh, the person that was overseeing things properly jeffrey epstein had had two prior ponzi schemes and um hoffenberg never had one but as soon as hoffenberg worked with epstein he had a ponzi scheme so it's just everyone around epstein ends up falling it's really interesting are you there I think I, I think they lost. I'm here. Oh, uh, I'm here. And I, I, I just wanted for balance to uh, set the record straight. Uh, he uh, he committed egregious fraud against a large number of people. I'm asking you, how credible is it that uh, Epstein done it and ran away? It's very credible. OK, so here, here's the thing. What people don't understand is Jeffrey Epstein was a CIA agent and CIA agent. I reported a CIA agent to the FBI. Brad Edwards writes about it in his book. Brad Edwards is one of our lawyers and he writes about it. And basically, um, Jeffrey Epstein continued to remain unscathed while all the people that were his scapegoats ended up suffering. I was one of them. You know, I, I didn't go to prison, but I went into hiding. And it was all, we were all around the same time period that we were suffering. So it is very, it's, I'm not saying that Hoffenberg said he had no part of this. He feels very, he felt very culpable and guilty. And um, he was making every effort he could to be the best person he could. 
to make a difference for the lives of other people who had suffered Epstein or um, the people who had, were affected financially by Epstein's crimes. And I happen to know he called them and, and worked with them to help them. So. Now, uh, what's uh, the latest on his cause of death? He died alone, I think, in Wisconsin, in his apartment there. He had been dead uh, for some days. Uh, how did that happen with uh, such a high-profile man? Okay, that's a wonderful question. So the Southern District of New York is the answer. So what happens is the Southern District of New York choose people up and when they spit them out they're not able to survive and he was living he was destitute he was living in poverty and he was doing good for others he was living in connecticut and um i spoke to him five days before i made the the call to the police i had not heard from him in five days and as a result, I was on the phone with my friend Carmen, and uh, I looked at I looked at the phone and recognized it had been five days that had passed, and I had never gone more than two without speaking to him. And I suddenly knew he was gone, and he had been suffering um, the effects of just a lot of health issues from being in prison so long. And that's really the cause of the death. It's not so sensational, but what happened is uh, the police wouldn't go and do a welfare check. They said that Ponzi schemer does not live in our jurisdiction. This was in Derby, Connecticut. And so I suffered a, a stroke. That's why I'm in the hospital because I couldn't convince them to go. And they finally went and out. It's so undignified to have a body lying there. And that's what was really bothering me is I wanted him treated with respect at the end because I love him and he wasn't treated well. The medical examiner called me um, that evening and she was very kind. And she said, listen, Maria, we're going to do all we can. But he's been dead for a while. And I knew, she said, when did you last speak? And I said, it was five days ago before, before Saturday. So it was nine days before they checked on his body. So <laughs> it's really bad. Uh, did I hear you correctly? Are you talking to me from hospital? And have you had a stroke? Yeah, I had what's called a TIA. I had two of them. They're, um, they're mini strokes. And, um, for some reason right now, if I get really upset because I had this, uh, I have this superior vena cava, um, issue. Let me see if I can find it. Um, anyway, basically I'm butchered. My vein was butchered by UAMS, a hospital. And, um, so as a result of it, if I get very upset, I get like choked out and I can't um, get oxygen to my brain because the superior vena cava provides the oxygen through the blood to the brain. And so I'm gonna suffer strokes if I cry. And I was just starting to, you know, um, I knew, I knew he was gone. And I was trying to explain to the Derby police officers to please go check on him and that they wouldn't do it. And so, yeah, I had a stroke. It was a mini stroke is what they call it. And um, now I'm in the hospital. <laughs> so. Well, I'm especially glad that you took the time to talk to us from hospital. I apologize for not saying so in the beginning. I did not know it. Maria Farmer, as always, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Coming up, we've got Lindsay Snell. Uh, but let me uh, do some uh, of the texts. Thank you so much for the super chat donations. We've got a fighting fund going. 
so that when we relaunch the midweek mother of all talk shows, we don't go um, backside up uh, uh, within uh, a few weeks. We need a fighting fund to relaunch with all guns blazing. And people are kindly donating. Tony Bond, for example, has donated £10 and says, looking forward to the meet and greet in Stockport, George. Can't wait to shake your hands. Thank you for all your efforts. Come up to me and say the name Bond, Tony Bond. Thanks very much, Tony. Look forward to seeing you in Stockport on the 7th of November at the Garrick Theatre. It's a great theatre, really terrific. And you might be filmed and appear on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, Simon C66 donated £1.79. Thank you, Simon. Elvis is in the building and donated £5. Uh, Remembrance Rug Guy donated 50 American dollars. My goodness, thank you so much. Says, hi, ku, once upon a time, Uncle Sam, no clemency history does rhyme. I don't know what that means, but I'm very, very grateful for your donation. Sailing Prepper Dark Secrets donated five American dollars and says, my favorite Sunday show, Galloway, keep up the good work as long as God gives me breath. Osama Almola donated 20 US dollars. Thank you, Osama, and says freedom of speech is sacred. Keep it up and never bend the knee. I bend the knee only before God, Osama, as I'm sure you know. Now we've got a poll going. My goodness, that's big. Uh, in the pre-poll, on the community poll on uh, YouTube, more than 5,000 people voted. And they voted overwhelmingly no to the following question. Are you prepared to pay for the Ukraine war through increased energy prices? A, yes, 9% on Twitter. Who are these 9%? Why don't you call up and say why? Please. Unless you're not allowed to phone from Broadmoor. Yes, 9%. No, 91%. And on YouTube, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel. It costs nothing at all. And 44% of you have still not subscribed. All you need to do is click a button. On YouTube, it's yes, 5%. No, 95%. And on Telegram, that's t.me forward slash George Galloway. It's yes, 3%. No, 97%. My goodness. You can vote on that until the end of the show. To recommend thrift to the poor is both grotesque and insulting. It's like advising a man who is starving to eat less. Exactly what Liz Truss, Britain's next Prime Minister, in just a couple of weeks' time, actually did today. And the other cheek by jowl, says Joe Biden's daughter said that her dad showered with her inappropriately. The FBI confirmed it today. This is the sitting president of the United States. How is this not a huge story? Well, it's the first I've heard of it, but my goodness, it ought to be 
a huge story. Maybe it will become one. Who knows? A bit like Hunter Biden. That was Russian disinformation until it was proven to be true. Now, Lindsay Snell is a distinguished journalist, a very distinguished journalist, a Murrow Award winner, who specializes in the very areas that have become the center of world events, the Ukraine, Russia, and the uh, former Soviet states, Soviet satellite states, Russia's near abroad, all of which are powder kegs right at this moment. And I'm very, very glad that Lindsay has agreed to join us now. Lindsay, very nice to meet you. I've been an admirer of your work for a long time, but this is the first time we've had the opportunity to talk. I don't know if you heard my opening uh, monologue, but uh, if not, in Precy, the game's up uh, for the war. According to the former head of the British Army, Lord Richard Dannett, writing of all places in Rupert Murdoch's Times today, in which, inter alia, he says, it's time for the Ukrainian generals to tell Zelensky that they can do no more, uh, that this war will have to be brought to a quick end by negotiation and compromise. Uh, what do you say? to that kind of analysis. It's absolutely correct. Um, it's hilarious to think that Zelensky isn't fully aware of this because he is, uh, as he's fully aware of the neo-Nazi issue and the corruption issue. But um, it's it's months too late, but it's absolutely necessary. And also there are SPD MEPs, German MEPs, who have said the same thing. It's time to negotiate. It's time to end this. Well, not just because of the suffering in Ukraine and will, of course, turn to that in a moment. But the European economies are rapidly going bankrupt and facing, unless I'm a, a, a ludicrous uh, optimist, facing widespread civil unrest in their countries. How can people pay three quarters of their pension on gas and electricity? How can people pay more than half of their income by next April on gas and electricity, whilst food prices are rising rapidly. Nobody can do that. So our own economies are being defuncted by our policy towards this war. Something's got to give, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, this is months too long at this point, but it's time to end it. Um, there are, beyond the economic harm, uh, Ukrainians are dying in mass for no reason. You know, soldiers are underarmed, undersupplied, and they're just being slaughtered. I mean, like five soldiers showing one AK-74, basically, against Russian tanks and artillery. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's time to end the war. Do you think the generals, uh, do you think Lord Dannett's comments today reflects what the generals are telling him? Is the sense that the top brass of the Ukrainian army are close to the point where they'll have to tell Zelensky this? I think it's been well known uh, for a long time, although there have been reports, some soldiers have said that they told their command that, you know, we can't hold these positions anymore, especially in the Donbass. We can't hold these positions with one rifle and we're just 
being shelled constantly. Um, and their command said, basically, if you leave, we'll kill you. Sit there. In some cases, they took away some of their weapons for coming and to ask for support and help. So, I mean, it might be more beneficial for them to keep the lie going. But I think everyone in Ukraine, including Zelensky, knows it's time to end the war. What would the end of the war look like, uh, Lindsay? It goes without saying, although a surprising number of people haven't grasped this, that what the end of the war would have looked like before the war began is very different to what the end of the war looks like six months into it. It's negotiations and it's, you know, probable territorial divide. And there's no way around that at this point because Ukraine has lost so much territory and they're steadily losing more territory. So, I mean, it's just a question of how much territory, how much more territory will they lose before negotiations are forced and a war, an end is, is reached. But how much territory? What territory uh, is likely to have to be ceded by Kiev in order to bring the fighting to an end? A lot of the soldiers in Donbass think that Kiev has already given up on Donbass, and that's part of the reason that they're so underarmed and undersupplied. They're just sort of sitting there waiting to lose territory, waiting to die or... I mean, they think that that's already basically been ceded. So there's a good chance that that will be ceded. And right up to the River Dnieper and right down to the Black Sea coast? That remains to be seen. But the longer this goes on, more territory will, will be absorbed by Russia. And what about the continuation in office of Zelensky? It's very hard to see how Russia could coexist uh, with the current regime in Kiev. Maybe these generals will have to come to power themselves. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to see. Also, there's a huge divide of much of the military, much of the Ukrainian military, especially the, the far-right factions, of which there are many, and they're among the most powerful, really despise Zelensky and don't want to follow his orders anyway. So it's, it's really hard to see how Zelensky factors into the end. And what's the impact uh, in Ukraine's near abroad, Lindsay? Uh, what's the impact on, on Poland, for example, uh, which, of course, has long had uh, territorial ambition uh, in Western Ukraine, indeed had sovereignty in Western Ukraine uh, for uh, 100, 150 years. Uh, what's the impact on the Baltic states? How much radicalized have these Baltic states become? The Baltic states have become absolutely insanely radicalized. And you can look at Latvia for chief examples of this. Um, really rapidly outlawing the Russian language in schools and 15% of people in Latvia are Russian speaking exclusively. Um, they've threatened to pull the passports and render stateless people who express what they deem to be support for Russia. And this is common in, in many of the Baltic states. Um, it's really, they've legitimized Russophobia. It's become completely acceptable. Well, uh, the, the United Nations has demanded a halt uh, to the destruction of historic war memorials uh, pending uh, review. Latvia has gone on what can only be described as a wrecking spree of memorials to the people who fell under Nazi occupation and during the liberation of Latvia from that Nazi occupation. Yeah, and this is something that they've waited to do for a long time. So it's not like these are just ideas that occurred to them because of the, you know, 
the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This is something that they've been waiting to do for a long time. And not only that, you know, they still have, it's legal for them to do the SS Waffen Memorial Parade every year. That's still completely legal. But if you were to carry a Russian flag to a Soviet monument or even go and try to lay flowers at the Soviet monument, this is now a crime in Latvia. So it's, it's quite a, a crazy situation. And what about in Russia itself? Uh, Putin's approval rating, uh, at least according to uh, local opinion polls, uh, I suppose they could be questioned, but uh, it seems undoubted that uh, Putin's approval ratings are likely to be in the range uh, that the polls show, which is 82% approval. I think certainly the Russian population is tired of the war and the Russian population wants the war to end. It causes, you know, additional complications for the average Russian, especially in terms of we're seeing travel in the EU now. And I, I don't think that there's any chance that Schengen visas will be completely banned for Russians, but it's becoming more complicated and more difficult to travel for Russians. And of course, the, the banking issues. So I think the average Russian is, is very tired of the war and wants it to end, but still completely supports Putin. Of course, the average Russian doesn't travel to the European Union nor, uh, nor shop in, uh, in some of the ritzier Western shops that have closed in, in Moscow. Uh, the average Russian doesn't have a yacht and, and doesn't holiday on the, on the Riviera. Uh, it's undoubtedly true that the oligarchs uh, have every reason to be angry about the uh, extent to which they have been effectively robbed uh, by Western countries, L legal, legalized theft uh, of their resources. Is that likely to become a factor in Russian politics? It may, but it hasn't thus far. And I mean, even countries that were particularly friendly to Russia, like Montenegro, had started seizing assets too. So I think it really depends on how far it goes and how long this continues. Well, I, I, I just heard yesterday that West Africa is now the port of choice uh, of uh, the Russian oligarchs. I'm not sure why or how much they'll enjoy it in, uh, in West Africa, but any port in a storm, I suppose. Interesting. Lindsay Snell, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Uh, now... Uh, Roger Asai donated 71 US dollars. Roger, thank you so much. And says, happy 71st, Steve. He's donated 71 dollars. It's his 71st birthday. It's quite some time, Roger, before I reach 71, God willing. But I'm happy to wish you many happy returns. Sometimes it's like we're listening to this George fellow together and laughing at the same spots. 27 years and I am still missing you. Uh, that's Roger speaking to Steve. And it's true. Uh, people uh, tell me uh, that uh, they, they listen, as it were, in concert with other people and then check back uh, with their friends and, uh, and discuss the show afterwards. Thanks, Roger, and happy 71st, Steve. Ivan Walker donated five pounds and says, we the people can do better. Demos poder. Ivan, the Labour leader, Sir Keir Starmer, described 
the spectacle of Labour members of Parliament, not many of them, but a few honourable souls, appearing on picket lines with striking railway workers as performative politics. Yesterday, the same Sir Keir Starmer dressed up from tin hat to hobnailed boots in a military uniform. Now, I know Keir Starmer. If there is any man less likely to be comfortable in a military uniform, I speak as someone who can strip an SLR and then put it back together again in the dark, having greased it along the way. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I don't think Sir Keir Starmer would even know what greasing it meant. Uh, Jamie is in Malaga. Let's hear from Jamie. Always welcome, Jamie. Oh, th- thank you very much, George. And I'm, I'm a very big fan of yours and watch your program every Sunday and, and, and really find it very, very interesting and, and relevant. If only thank more you. people were, were, were listening. Um, and, and you've already got a lot. I'm not diminishing that, but, but I wish the whole of the world were listening. Sure. It would be a better place. Um, Indeed. Uh, I thought that the woman, uh, Sylvie, from New Zealand spoke very well about the appalling treatment of uh, Julian's father and brother in Australia. What, a, what an absolute sham that whole thing is and disgraceful. In their own country. In, the, ex- in their ex- own country, by their own parliament. Exactly, exactly. Utterly disgraceful and what a letdown Albanese has been. Um, as you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big supporter of, uh, of Julian Assange's and he's still in solitary confinement into his fourth year in a maximum security prison in, in England, in London, Belmarsh. Um, the reason I wanted to call today is about a man, a young man who started a walk in June from Hamburg uh, on the way to London to Belmarsh Prison. And uh, he's quite an incredible person and he's got a, a, a big following. But I really wanted to do a sort of call out uh, on your show was just to encourage people to look him up uh, on Twitter. Uh, it's called Long Walk for Assange, as in Long Walk and then the number four for Assange. And he's actually reached uh, Brussels. He's gone through Brussels at the weekend and is now on his way to, to Calais. But an incredible person, and I've been following him on Twitter and seeing all the sort of uh, um, people who have been receiving him in different towns and, and celebrating his arrival and uh, as he goes on with his sort of 
uh, cart that he pulls all his possessions, um, or at least all of his possessions for the for this journey. But um, incredible, incredible person, an incredible response, and he got a very. What's his response. name? What's his name, uh, Jamie? His his name is Kolya. It's uh, it's K O L J A, but but spelt uh, pronounced Kolya. And he's well, got, everyone uh, should look out for him and follow him on Twitter, on social media. And if you see him, you give him a cup of tea, give him uh, a lunch, uh, give him a pat on the back, cheer him. This sounds like a heroic, epic uh, journey. When is he due to arrive London? Well, uh, my calculations are that he'll get to London around about the 10th or 12th of September. Um, and he's now on his way between uh, Brussels and Calais, and because he, he, I talk to him pretty much every day, and he thinks he'll be in Calais in sort of five days from now, pro- probably sort of get to Dover. If, if anybody was thinking about coming to Dover and perhaps walking with him for a while, I mean, that would be brilliant. He'd probably get to Dover sort of the 5th or 6th of September. Um, and yeah, that, that's fantastic, George. Uh, you know, a sort of call out to him. And well, look, uh, God bless him. God bless him and God bless you, Jamie, for uh, all of your effort. Let me go all the way to Bali, where it literally is the middle of the night. But our guest is good enough, noble enough, to rise from his slumbers to address us on matters far eastern. Well, it depends where you are in the world as to whether it's far eastern. Carl, thank you. As always, Carl Jar, the host of Silk and Steel, which is a podcast about China, Silk Road, history, culture, and geopolitics. Let's start with the geopolitics, Carl. The American Navy is right now steaming in the Straits of Taiwan. How's that going down? You know, at this point, this is almost a uh, pretty regular occurrence. U.S. sent two warships uh, into Taiwan Strait, but they're very careful not sending their capital ship, which is their aircraft carrier, into the Taiwan Strait, like they have done back in 1997, 1996. And and the two warships they sent, though, they're they're uh, 35-year-old and 38-year-old. So they're not going to intimidate anybody, and certainly not the Chinese. Uh, U.S. is just doing this now as an act of provocation. See, I can do this, and and you know because I I can claim I'm sailing uh, in just because I, I I can. This is just a just a way to annoy China even more. Ever after the Pelosi visit, and now after uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn's visit, United States just trying to do anything you can to get a rise out of China at this point. The Chinese leadership has proved uh, patient, sagacious, uh, and, uh, and is waiting for its time. When do you think that time might be? Well, you know, some in the United States uh, government, they think U.S. have a very limited time window to, to confront China now because they believe in 10, 15 years, China economic, economy will grow to such a point where even U.S. want to contain China at that point, it will not be possible. So the thought is now or never. They, they think if they have to do something to contain China's rise, they have to do it now. And that, that is why we see these series of provocations. 
Uh, first was uh, Pelosi's visit, now is uh, Blackburn, and now the, the ship sailing into the Taiwan Strait. Uh, China is not taking the bait because time is on China's side. You know, China has been very patient. You waited 70 years to resolve the Taiwan issue. China can't afford another to wait another 10, 20 years uh, when its position will even be stronger vis-a-vis United States. Um, so we're, we're going to see China is actually acting like the adult in the room here now. Um, I mean, we, there's actually a recent article in the Foreign uh, Policy magazine uh, says it, majority of the Indo-Pacific regions support China in this latest confrontation over Taiwan. Of course they do, because most people here, they just want to do business with China. There's no reason for, um, for the uncalled for provocation to increase tension by United States. Uh, but but U.S. doesn't care at this point uh, because they think they have a very t- limited time window to do something. Well, look, amongst those keen to do business with China are, of course, our own Western companies. I once uh, had a debate against Steve Bannon, the former Trump guy, uh, who's a fanatic uh, anti-China man. Uh, if, you, if you offered them a place on the bridge of a warship going down the Yangtze, all guns blazing, Bannon would take it. He uh, was talking about how China had stolen uh, everybody's lunch, but I pointed out, actually it was the Western capitalists that stole your lunch. It was them that upsticked and moved their uh, manufacturing and their investments to China. Some of the biggest companies in the world, in the Western world, brand names known to everyone, are heavily involved in the Chinese economy. So how do you account for this dichotomy? Uh, that's, that's right, uh, George, because if China, for their perspective, it's build it, they will come. And they have built up their infrastructure. They, they have educated a, a well-educated workforce. And this is why the Western multinational has been rushing into China in a gold rush since 1980s. And what have changed recently, though, is, um, you know, if you look at the stock market, most of our, uh, the, the, in the S&P, the most value companies now are Western technology companies. You know, we're talking about Facebook, Google, Apple. Now, Apple is doing brisk business in China, but there are companies like Facebook and Google that's not in the Chinese market. And, and they see Ch- Chinese tech giant like Tencent, like Huawei as competition. So, you know, that's that's why we're seeing U.S. is trying to uh, force China, a Chinese company TikTok to, to sell off the company, for example, in the United States. That started under Trump and still ongoing. And so increasingly, a lot of the U.S. companies, especially high tech companies, they see chi- Chinese uh, uh, product and companies are offering them real competition. And that's something they don't like to see. And, and these uh fan companies, you know, Facebook, Apple, uh, Google, et cetera, they have a lot of uh, sway in Washington. Uh, you know, before U.S. business lobby are all for doing business in China, you know, that's why at least at some point there was a balance between the so-called pro-containment camp 
and uh, pro-engagement camp. And since Donald Trump, what we have seen is the pro-engagement camp pretty much evaporated. Now it's all, uh, it's pretty much the U.S. military is calling the shots right now. It's the Pentagon that's setting force agenda in the U.S.-China relationship. And that is why we're seeing, seeing the warship sailing through the Taiwan Strait right now. Well, here's another contradiction. Amongst those doing great business with China is Taiwan. Not a lot of people know that, Carl. That hundreds of millions of dollars of trade goes across the 100 miles in the Straits of Taiwan. There are huge Chinese investments in Taiwan and huge Taiwanese investment in China. There are untold thousands of Taiwanese people working and living in China. Explain. Uh, that's right, George. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's at least 2 million Taiwanese people work, uh, live on mainland China. That's out of an po island population of 25 million. So we're talking about almost 10% of the population in Taiwan have moved to mainland China to work and live. And if Taiwan's um, economy is heavily dependent on doing business with mainland China, uh, uh, as, as much as 40% of Taiwanese exports goes to mainland China directly. Uh, but this is this is something that's rarely reported. It's kind of the economic dependency uh, on both sides of the Taiwan Strait. What U.S. failed to mention, for example, when they talk about sending U.S. Navy into South China Sea to uh, quote-unquote protecting the international sea lane, what they're not telling you is over 80% of the trade going through South China Sea is going to or from China. So U.S. Navy essentially is claiming they're protecting the Chinese shipping lane from China, right? And, and it's utterly ridiculous. And, and right now, um, U.S. actually has a law that prohibits the Taiwan uh, main Taiwan semiconductor company TSMC from selling their semiconductor chips to Huawei, right? A main Chinese technology company. Now this is U.S. has no business. This is U.S. dictating an entire region now who they can or cannot do business with. Uh, but this is how U.S. act around the world, you know, for past no how many every years i mean because u.s is a bully right u.s felt it, it can dictate to the whole world taiwan tsmc is perfectly willing to continue to sell semiconductor chips to mainland china but u.s is saying no if you do that we're going to put sanction on you you cannot do business in the united states you know we, we will prevent u.s companies like uh you know like facebook amazon to source their chips to, to Taiwan. So now uh, United States is the main factor of instability in East Asia right now. The China used to have two Achilles heels. One was energy, in which it is energy poor, uh, or was less now. It's doing very well with wind and other alternative uh, energy sources, but, but fossil fuel, uh, uh, energy is a weak point for them, but their ultra-close relationship with not just Russia, where the two countries 
are more or less now one, but also with Iran and Venezuela means they've closed that gap. They're no longer vulnerable on the energy front. But semiconductors, they appear still to be vulnerable. How, how come? Why is that? And what are they trying to do about it? Um, that's correct, George, because uh, for the longest time, uh, ever since the Sino-US reapprochement under Richard Nixon, China had tried to join the US-dominated global world order. And, and China benefited from that globalization. And the, the, the thinking is that we, you know, China can always source its semiconductors. It can always buy, mainland China can always buy semiconductors from Taiwan. That has been the case until the Trump administration comes to power and said, no, you cannot do that anymore. Um, because the US has identified semiconductor as one of the few areas where they can potentially still have a chokehold over China. But this is gonna be, again, it's gonna be temporary because um, China is now plowing billions, billions of investment into its own semiconductor um, manufacturing sector. Uh, be, before they can, they are perfectly content to to source it from from uh, a third party. But now they know that uh, it's a strategic commodity. They must have control it over themselves. So I expect in five to ten years, uh, maybe less, maybe five years, China will resolve the semiconductor manufacturing problem and and will no longer be dependent on um, on Taiwan, which creates actually an issue for Taiwan because Taiwan semiconductor um, TSMC is one of the main economic stays on Taiwan. You know, they're going to, they're potentially going to lose one of their biggest customer because of the U.S. government policies. But this is a weakness and a criticism of uh, previous Chinese leaderships uh, that they allowed a situation to arise where Taiwan could be a world leader in semiconductors, but China had no uh, capacity to manufacture those. How much effort is now going into catching up? Oh, there's, there's tons of money being plowed into um, semiconductor manufacturing in China right now. Uh, they, the, there's a couple bottle points, uh, specifically... Um, in, in terms of equipment that needed to manufacturing uh, the semiconductor at at a, um, at at high precision, now this is where U.S. also again comes in. They prevent the European company AS, uh, ASML from selling their machines to China. So 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 now China is not going to only not only they have to figure out the semiconductor manufacturing process, they also need to figure out how they can create their own machines to, to, to do so. I mean, so that's why I expect it to take five to 10 years. But uh, with the amount of money China is plowing into semiconductor field, I don't expect this to be an issue 10 years from now. Carl as always, thank you, especially uh, given the hour in Indonesia, in Bali, and my good wife Gayatri says hi to you and your family. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. You should sign up for that Patreon page. I'm now entirely dependent, uh, well not entirely, but apart from my pension, 
dependent on my Patreon supporters, and I'm deeply grateful to them. So are my hungry children. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. That's the uh, destination that you should look for. Uh, if you want more copy, more uh, product, more uh, content, like the Maxwell mini documentary, you can also get my football podcast on there. And more and more material is going up on my Patreon page. It's not even the price of a cup of tea in the most insalubrious cafe. I really hope that you will give some consideration to uh, following me there. Patreon.com forward slash George Galloway. Now, let's hear from Tom in London. Go ahead, Tom. Oh, g'day, George. Yeah, I'm just in London and I wanted to uh, use your voice to amplify the call we put out to get all supporters of Julian Assange to the Parliament Square on the 8th of October to protest the incarceration of one of the world's greatest journalists. 8th of October at what time, Tom? 1pm. I'll be there and I encourage everyone to be there. It is uh, the 11th hour and the 59th minute. All must rally to save the life of Julian Assange. Tom, thanks for that call. Uh, now, I'll be speaking at the TUC, uh, Trade Union Congress for younger viewers and overseas viewers. Once upon a time, everybody knew what TUC meant and all roads led to the TUC conference. But I'll be speaking at a fringe meeting uh, entitled the TUC and Keir Starmer's Labour Party, along with Andy Hudd, uh, who is the vice president of the Train Drivers Union, ASLEF, ASL ENF, one of my oldest allies, and it's chaired by Jason Turvey, uh, who's the leader of the Workers' Party, which I lead. He's the leader of its trade union group. You don't have to be a delegate or even visitor to the TUC in Brighton uh, to attend that meeting, uh, but you uh, can attend it as a member of the public. If you're anywhere near uh, the uh, TUC in Brighton. That that I can see on my screen doesn't tell you even the date, never mind the venue. I'm sure we'll be able to uh, deal with that before the end of the show. Let's go to line two where Giza wants to talk about protests in Downing Street. On you go, Giza. How are you doing, mate? It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And thank you for Tom for putting on to the guy that's just been on. Uh, I will certainly be there on the 8th of October. Now, I've been down to uh, the protest pen, the official protest pen. They're supposed to sterilise protests and send you over the street. Uh, we've got a stage down here, three blackboards, uh, and all of it to do with uh, uh, Boris Johnson and uh, the, the tre treacherous government. Uh, the very first... Uh, uh, item I put up on the blackboard was arrest Boris Johnson for treason and genocide and just look where we are now. After uh, uh, Sunak's uh, uh, announcement yesterday about the we shouldn't be listening to the experts, we've now got other stations, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the other stations that are now saying we should be arresting uh, the likes of uh, Chris Whitty and others. Uh, the main reason I'm here 
is to highlight the fact that the uh, patients uh, were overdosed in 2020 by hydroxychloroquine. Um, this has got me barred from Facebook on numerous occasions for 30 days. They were overdosed by 2,400 milligrams of hydroxychloroquine when the safe dose is 400 and it cured COVID. It was proven by Dr. Zelenko in America. Uh, the toxic uh, level is 1,000 milligrams. Uh, uh, and uh, so, the, first of all, they, Oxford University overlooked the recovery trial study uh, and then also are now, con conflict of interest, are in with the AstraZeneca that is now uh, paying out a hundred. Okay. Well, the yeah, government paying out hundred twenty thousand. This is all uh, Giza. This is all utter gobbledygook. And I'm sorry that you have abused uh, this program to make these kind of wild and utterly irrational statements. Personally, I don't even know what you are talking about. And I'm sure I speak for many of the audience. Let's hear from Mohammed in Glasgow, where you get a better class of caller. Go ahead, Mohammed. Assalamu alaikum, George. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullah barakatuh. What would you like to say, Mohammed? Uh, my brother, I know time is short, so I would just say one thing to mark what you do with about um, Julian Assange and the Philist about Philistine. Uh, all I can say is. The caravan keeps moving on and the dogs keep on barking. That's my first comment. Hope you like that one. Yep. Uh, George, I, 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 I've loved that one all, all my life. Oh, nice. I'm glad to hear it. George, regarding uh, Russia and uh, Ukraine, you know, we all saw that um, Alexander Dugan's daughter was uh, shockingly assassinated uh, in a horrific attack in Moscow. Uh, my simple question to you, George, is what do you think Russia's response will be now? Because I doubt they will not respond in some sort of way. Well, I doubt if the state will respond. It certainly won't do publicly. Uh, Putin has never met Alexander Dugan, never spoken to him, despite Indeed, yeah. the lie machine pumping out endless lies that he's Putin's brain, his right-hand man. He's never right. met him or spoken to him, let alone his young daughter, an utterly blameless young woman that was torn to pieces in a car bomb attack that would have been condemned if, say, it had been uh, Salman Rushdie's car Absolutely. and Salman Rushdie's daughter uh, that was torn to pieces. We would never hear... The end of that. We never heard the beginning of any outrage about the murder of Daria Dugin. Uh, yeah. I doubt if Russia will officially respond as a state, but I know for sure that there will be a response. And the uh, murderers who have identified themselves and their whereabouts uh, will undoubtedly come to a sticky end, probably not dissimilar to the end that Daria herself experienced. Uh, Mohammed, last point to you. Well, I totally agree with that, George. And uh, I, all, all I can really say is I, I thank you for everything you do, and uh, you have my full support, sir. Wajib, Wajib. Thank you, Mohammed. God bless Glasgow and your uh, community. Uh, now, uh, I need to.
uh, remind you uh, about the 7th of November at the Garrick Theatre. Abraham Lincoln got shot in a theatre. I hope nobody's thinking of that in my case because I'll have a lot of security there. Uh, led by my good friend Shen and his team, who are uh, red hot in terms of security. I'll be on the stage for 45 minutes, uh, talking, making you laugh, making you cry, making you angry, making you excited, making you hopeful. And then there'll be a break, and then you will have the chance to ask me questions in between times. Gayatri will be going around with our camera interviewing as many of you in Vox Pops as she can. So if you want to be on the mother of all talk shows, get to the Garrick Theatre in Stockport on the 7th of November. But a word of warning, there's only 151 seats and we've already sold almost half of the seats. So get buying them quickly. They're only 10 quid. It's worth it. Uh, Eve is in Idaho. First call from the United States. Go ahead, Eve. Hello, George. Thank you for ha having me on your great show. Uh, I, I wanted to um, to talk about uh, racism and 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 thing related to that. And it is a very. Uh, um, I, I have always believed that racism was not inherent uh, to the human race. Uh, I think the genetic proves it. And the event of Ukraine prove, prove also that the West used for their propaganda racism when the goal is completely different. What I'm trying to say is that the bottom line with Ukraine is that America uh, wants the, geo, uh, the geopolitical monopoly of their currency and so on. That's well known. But Europe was told by Americans that they should steal the wealth from Russia because Russia is 2% of the population of the world and 20% of the reserve. When Europe is a post-neocolonial -neo power, they have no energy, they have no money, they are lazy, they have high standard of living, they have a tradition to steal uh, in Africa and so on, and now they want to destroy Russia and they will use Ukraine or anything, or in fact, they, they are using Ukraine, Kosovo, and Syria. But what's interesting is the thing with racism, because Russophobia is racism. And we know that uh, the media thinks that we cannot admit that we want to, that we are thieves, that we just want to steal. So we think that Russophobia uh, would be okay. And we use, uh, we use uh, the, the Russophobia and what I call racism, a form of racism, to conceal the fact that Europe is a neocolonial power and we are a bunch of thieves. That's what I wanted to say. Well, uh, look, uh, it's very good, very powerful. I agree with all of it. But the uh, good news, Eve, is that it has completely failed. They moved heaven and earth to put in power in Damascus, ISIS and Al-Qaeda and the alphabet soup of Islamist fanaticism, and they completely failed. 
The Serbian people will ensure that they fail in Kosovo. And trust me, NATO is not going to go to war against Serbia. Because if they do, they'll be at war with Russia's closest ally in the near abroad. They will not do that. The Kosovan people should know that, need to know that. And to say that they have failed in the Ukraine is a very considerable understatement. I thought the picture as a man, a man of French ethnicity yourself, albeit in Idaho, the picture of the foreign legion arriving in Yemen to steal Yemen's gas reserves, summed it up. Thieves, pirates, brigands, who all, if they are not very lucky, return home to their various countries in boxes. Trust me on that. I know the Yemeni people very, very well. Richard is in Wales, wants to talk about fuel duties as well he might. Richard, go ahead, sir. Hi, George. Good evening. Health and strength to you, my buddy. Um, yes. Thank you, brother. Uh, as a former member of parliament, um, you may have the knowledge to either substantiate or refute my suspicions uh, that I have about the government today. Um, okay. I'm going to reuse a phrase that you use, I smell a rat. I suspect yeah. that the government are and have been doing since the beginning of the fuel increases, deliberately avoiding to detax transport fuel because they themselves are in turn receiving a much-needed windfall from that tax. Is, are my suspicions right or wrong? Or I don't know. Uh, I'm absolutely right. But, uh, of course, you never know what the last straw is going to be, or you wouldn't, you wouldn't load it on the camel's back. And what we now have is a perfect storm. We have rising food prices. We have shortages. Even one or two products that I myself regularly use, I can no longer get. Unavailability in the marketplace, rocketing prices, fuel duty, which has not been cut, fueling an historic increase in the price of uh, diesel and petrol, despite the claims that the Chancellor, as was Rishi Sunak, had told the companies to cut it and had cut the fuel duty by five pence and so on, it's still now over 180, uh, far more expensive than it was uh, when I was buying diesel across Europe over the uh, summer. But the big enchilada, Richard, is that now adding to this perfect storm is the fact that electricity and gas prices have become and are becoming not just difficult to pay, but unpayable, literally unpayable. No one can pay, no pensioner can spend three quarters of their pension on their gas and electricity. I mean, it, it's a no-brainer, that one, isn't it? No poor person can pay more than half of their weekly income on gas or 
electricity. Anyone who went quietly into that good night would need their head examined. All these people need is a lead. They need a leader. They need leaders to say enough is enough. Can't pay, won't pay. That's what they need. They need leaders. And if those leaders come forward, then the people will follow in their millions. I was one of the refuseniks that refused to pay their poll tax. The bailiffs raided my home in Glasgow and put my furniture, or tried to, out on the uh, pavement, the sidewalk, to sell it to passers-by to recover the money from my poll tax. The anti-poll tax campaigners uh, rallied and stopped the bailiffs from doing so, but the poll tax brought down Margaret Thatcher. And I believe this crisis is going to bring down this Tory government. If only the so-called opposition would lead the people. I've got to go, Richard, because there's a legend on the line. And we've missed her these last weeks. It's the one and only Norma in Bristol. Last call. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, um, it's been quite interesting, actually, but what I did want to say was just quickly I'm very worried about Pakistan because it's in a bad way really and Imran Khan although he's got thousands of supporters um, once in the election it's not good and now with these awful floods um, I just thousands are so dying sorry. in these floods thousands yeah no and it's just uh, well you know it's like a double whammy in that country it's not good is it you got a political crisis allied to uh, catastrophe in yeah. uh, climate, environmental damage. Thousands have been killed. Hundreds were killed today. Hundreds killed yesterday. I've seen video of people yeah. being swept away to their deaths, their families desperately trying to hold on to them. Everyone should rally to the assistance of the yeah. people of Pakistan, but at the same time, keep up the pressure for the political reform that is required, the first reform of which is free and fair general elections to That's elect right. a yeah. government chosen by the people. Thank you very much, Norma. Sorry the hour is late. Are you prepared to pay for the Ukraine war through increased energy prices on twitter yes nine no 91 on youtube yes six no 94 on telegram yes three no 97 wow across the day ten thousand people nearly voted on that poll and overwhelmingly rejected it now i'm writing the third of this Trilogy, which is called Killarney Bluff, which is a double entendre. It's the Queensway series. This is the first one. This is the sequel. And I'm writing part three now. The film rights are still available. If anyone in Hollywood wants to buy them up, you can get both these books for $8.99 plus postage and packaging. Can get them from my shop 
or from Amazon. Well, look, that's all I've got time for. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, join me on Wednesday for the Galloway Show, only on YouTube at 10 p.m. UK time. Or, and or, for next week's Mother of All Talk Shows at 7 p.m. UK on all platforms. Thank you for watching. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.